Hello, Anna. Hello, Justina. Thank you both so much for, for being me, with me here today, for joining the podcast. Hello. Hello. Great to be here. This is the fifth episode of the podcast in uh, total. And actually the first time that we're having two guests on, uh, on at the same time. So this is, will also be quite exciting. you could start by introducing yourselves and your research and uh, your research interest and in what you're doing right now. So my name is Justyna Struzik and I am researcher and sociologist uh, based at Jagiellonia University in uh, Kraków. My current research is related to criminalization of drug use in Poland. So basically I'm doing ethnographic research among or with people who use drugs, uh, looking at how very restricted drug law actually influence and shape their social lives, their everyday experiences, let's say. But I am coming from like queer studies and I did my PhD on queer movements, queer mobilization in uh, the Polish context by analyzing uh, the main frameworks that actually somehow are produced uh, and mobilized by the movement. And I would also add to that that I was also involved in a kind of big research project on HIV AIDS policies in Poland, I mean, sorry, in Europe. <laughs> My responsibility was, was for, for Polish part, of course. And that's why how I actually got to this drug use field. Yeah, so long story short, this is, this is it. Thank you. Anna? I'm Anna Rotecka. I'm also based at the moment at the Jagiellonian University Institute of Sociology. I'm a sociologist and uh, an anthropologist, and I just finished my PhD on the recognition of sex workers' rights in Poland. And this is my main field of research. I probably will talk more about that later. And yeah, so I looked both in the uh, field of sex workers advocacy and outreach project, but also in the recognition theory and in the feminist theory, how sex work is being recognized or problematized by uh, feminists and trying to use the concept of recognition, especially as developed by Nancy Fraser and um, Judith Butler. And how can that be used as a tool uh, to look for the various mobilizations for the rights or benefit of sex workers? And now I'm in this diff uh, very particular moment when I submitted my thesis and I'm waiting for the defense and I still don't know where I will go afterwards. I'm looking for inspiration and uh, exploring new paths. Yeah, that's such a such an exciting phase. I'll be submitting in um, a bit less than a year and a half, if all goes well, with my PhD. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yes, thank you. So, could you please describe for the listeners who maybe aren't that familiar with uh, with the current political climate in uh, Poland in regards to LGBT plus rights, uh, gender issues. Could you please describe this political climate that you're working in as, as researchers? It's kind of uh, complicated because, I mean, I would say that the situation 
in Poland is actually shifting or changing all the time. And by the recent years, I, uh, I think I would say probably the pandemic, but also the years before, just before the pandemic, with the, this uh, right-wing, very right-wing government, we can actually see very uh, huge mobilization of LGBT issues and also anti-feminist discourses in public discourse, in political discourse. So, you know, with all of these legal changes, for example, regarding the anti-abortion regulation in recent years, but also when you think about LGBT free zones and basically anti-LGBT discourse mobilized, for example, in the last presidential campaign, we see this very complex, I would say, a social portrayal in which on the, on the one hand we have this queerphobic and anti-homophobic discourses and also anti-feminist discourses but on the other hand what is important from my perspective as a researcher of social movements we also see this massive mobilization coming from the civil society right so this was for example uh, very much visible in the context of reproductive rights and abortion uh, restrictions when we had this black protests uh, women's strike, uh, not only in uh, largest cities, but also in small towns, actually people mobilized in a way that we actually couldn't, we, I'm thinking about feminists or queer communities, we couldn't actually expect. And the same is actually to some extent with queer mobilization, which through years without any changes in laws was, I mean, started to be a bit routinized, but during the pandemic and this mobilization of anti-LGBT uh, ideology discourse uh, um, in presidential campaign, we could see a huge, massive queer mobilization in, in the largest cities, which is also kind of something new in the Polish context. So, so yeah, so this is what, what I would say at the first, I mean, what, I, what I'm thinking about the, the, local, the local context, but Anna probably would like to add something as well. Yes, yeah, so for us as researchers, that's a very interesting place to be because there is nothing stable. So... You had first, like the political climate in Poland was always uh, conservative and there was never a big space for critical, leftist, queer, feminist ideas. And then at some point, like mid 2000, we had this liberal government, a kind of liberal feminism was kind of gaining popularity. And we thought everything is going in the right place and everybody was kind of comfortable feeling more or less like everybody, like the mainstream feminism or research, let's say. And then came the very conservative peace government and we saw that very weak the gains we, we had, that it wasn't really something that was established in the policy, for example, anti-violence uh, laws. Yeah, so... That was very easy to demolish or come back or change or make it worse than it was. 
but that was really mobilizing for, as Justina said, for the uh, civic uh, initiatives, but more grassroots and more community based. So we had to shift from like looking at NGOs to rather look at, like also as researchers, as feminist researchers, to look uh, at what really people do on the in their small communities, how they organize, how they how they act in in this smaller scale. And that is really thought provoking. And I think we still are trying to problematize that and how this mobilization is, how the political context influences the way we, we also as researchers should be present in the public spheres. What are the topics we should pick and how, how to do, also how to do research, whether it should be like more distance or more maybe engaged and what is our, our position here. Yeah, this is this is also very interesting what uh, what Anna is uh, saying because it's also you know a question about like the attitude or a perception of the state. Uh, I would say you know the main slogan in the recent uh, mobilization was "Kiedy państwo mnie chroni swoje siostry będę bronić." So basically, we can translate it as when the state does not protect our sisters, we will stand for them or with them, right? So it also shows you that there is this, first of all, this recognition that the state is not there, it's not protective, it does not guarantee any recognition of rights, but also there is this grassroots mobilization. We will do it on our way. We will fight for each other. We will protect each other. For researchers, this is kind of, you know, uh, exciting moment, right? So we can actually ask many different questions also regarding EU and our presence uh, as, as, as Polish country in EU, but maybe that's for, for later. This is incredibly interesting. And also, I mean, you as researchers, you become activists in some way because you also communicate with, with the grassroots movements and you go against the, the governmental policies or like the, the hegemonic discourses of this uh, anti-feminism and, and homophobic stances, right? And I'm just wondering how... In the very beginning, how did you get interested in this line of research? Was it this uh, defiance against the, the government that drew you to it? Or why, um, why did you find it important? It was uh, really uh, a coincidence uh, because there was a pro research project at the Agelonian University and uh, I got hired. Um, and that was in 2009. I started to dig in the topic because I wasn't that familiar with this, like not at all. It started to become more and more interesting and complicated and how it, it inspires various responses from the civil society and then also the law and the role of the state uh, in regulating sex work, it I became really fascinated with it. So you cannot avoid being political while doing sex workers research, I think. Uh, if you would do that, that would be, I think, uh, problematic because it's really the case of justice and the rights of people doing sex work. And I don't think you can be like in between as a researcher. So that made me very politically engaged. Yeah, and I would just maybe add to that, that even if you don't want to be political because of the context, you will be politicized. We, I mean, your research uh, will be defined as political, right? 
So that's something actually that we were uh, trying also to show in, uh, a while ago together with Anna when we were presenting this uh, paper on like, uh, you know, a condom in public spaces in Poland, in, in the campaigns, in the discussions, in, uh, you know, different activities. I mean, you know, condom can be seen only as a public health issue or as a prevention strategy. But, you know, in, in conservative traditional context, there is something, you know, I mean, a bit suspicious about condom. There is something political about condom. That's why these different strategies of like how to navigate this, this uh, complex realities. And coming back to your question, I guess in my case, it was other way uh, around because I started with activism. Years back when I was a student of sociology, I just went to this uh, feminist organization situated, located in Krakow named EFKA, Women's Foundation. And, and it was just like a journey for me, right? I mean, so from uh, one community, one organization to another. And uh, I remember around 2008, I started to be a part of this queer collective, which is called Love Without Borders. I mean, Miłosz Peskraniec in Polish, right? And, and we, I mean, and this was an important moment for me because uh, also my way of thinking and queering myself a bit started at the same time a bit, I would say. And at some point I was asking myself, do I want to do some research on my own? Do I want to do PhD? And I actually decided to do my PhD on queer movements in Poland, being at the same time involved in, for example, Queer My Festival organizing, right? I mean, it started uh, with the activism and it stayed with the activism. And even right now, I mean, I would say that I'm not that much involved in activism uh, any longer, but I, uh, it's hard to think about your uh, position as a researcher without uh, thinking uh, politically. Your research, even if you don't want to be political, that it will be politicized by the society, by the government, that it's unavoidable in some way that if you choose certain topics, that they will again be politicized in uh, in a certain extent. And I was wondering, Justina, when, in terms of you being an activist and coming to academia as an, as an activist and continuing your work in this field, how did you position yourself? How do you still position yourself within within your research? I mean, do you draw a line somewhere or is it do these two roles for you being an activist and being a researcher, do they merge? Yeah, I would say that they actually merge somehow. I mean, of course, you need to draw some lines but when it comes to like everyday thinking it's very hard it's very it's very difficult for me to not thinking about my research outside of this engaged research approach or this uh, public sociology uh, approach however you call it so for example in my phd when i was doing research on queer uh, mobilization, I was actually using this perspective of public sociology, which is based on this assumption that sociology is always about changing the world. It's always about, you know, asking such questions or doing such research that potentially uh, may have uh, some kind of impact on social realities of people that you talk with. And of course, uh, sometimes uh, when you are engaged as a, for example, as activists uh, uh, in some uh, in some actions and some mobilizations, you realize that you cannot include everything to your uh, own research because, because first of all, people that you work with have to know that they are part of your, I don't know, 
so-called research and so on. And sometimes you gather material, but you just cannot include it. And for me, not doing engaged research would be very much difficult. And I also think that uh, that for Anna is the same, but I don't want to, of course, say it for her. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I was to uh, talk because uh, I uh, have also um, experience of being as a researcher and activist at the same time. And this started from the beginning of my research the way I designed it and planned I think it's very it's also ethical to be activist and to actively engage with the communities you research especially with the marginalized communities and from the very beginning I thought that my research will be engaged or uh, if not participatory so I started doing research as a volunteer in organizations uh, because I thought if I'm taking, like I'm observing what they're doing, I interview them, I'm like doing my career using their experiences and there's something I should give back and it should be something more than presenting the research outcomes to, the, to them, but like really uh, doing something, yeah, helping uh, in a direct way. So then I became also a part of a sex workers' rights uh, uh, group, uh, activist groups that uh, was directly aimed at advocating for sex workers' rights and defining sex work as work and like, speaking publicly of the need for recognition of uh, sex workers. And that was really a big change, uh, really something I I got involved and I'm still involved in. For the research, that was very challenging because I guess uh, in the way I formulate my, uh, I have written my thesis is a bit different than Justina, that I'm not using really this public sociology framework, but rather this uh, Nancy Shaper-Hughes call it to be a compañera which means you go with people uh, and you fight with them. You, you are with them on the streets and you are like part of them, so of the movement. So that became my way of acting and my way of writing also my thesis, which is coming from the inside of the, the movement. And I'm writing as a active member of, of the group. And the other way around is also to use my tools, uh, sociological tools, in the formulating the policy politics of the movement. So using, for example, the concept of recognition to talk about rights, or uh, using the knowledge about law and the you know, criminalization of sex work to debate what should be the, the good solution for sex workers using the knowledge about HIV prevention, to use it in the outreach work and so on. So that's how, uh, how for me, activism and uh, academia intertwine. Um, I was wondering also how um, has intersectionality and the intersectional approach played a role in, in your research and in what way? We start with Justina. Okay, I mean, I would say that intersectionality is in this very different project that I participated in very much present. But honestly, when I'm thinking about intersectionality, I'm thinking basically about this research that we did, and I'm thinking and I'm saying we because it was part of 
uh, Women's Space Foundation years back, uh, among non-heterosexual women uh, living uh, in the countryside or in the small cities in Poland. And this was something that was huge uh, from my perspective, because we tried to somehow translate uh, intersectionality into local context, because often when we hear intersectionality, we have this notion which is like Western-based somehow. So we have these different categories or different identities or different positionalities that should be taken into account when it comes to discussion about discrimination, inequalities, uh, people's experiences, and so on. But we were we were thinking about doing some uh, queer study that could actually show internal, maybe not discrimination, but internal inequalities within the LGBTQ community in Poland. And we decided to talk to, to do some interviews, focus group interviews, some workshops with women that identify as women and who also think about themselves as non-heterosexual. And this was very open category. So we didn't put any definition or any kind of, you know, requirements there. How they, and who also live, of course, outside of big cities, how they experience, uh, how they experience everyday life. And this was um, uh, important because it was not only about, you know, not having access to hospitals, to uh, uh, infrastructure, like, uh, I don't know, public transport and so on. But it was also about not having access to, for example, LGBT community, which is usually located in the largest cities, right? And from which they actually felt very much isolated. So this was like, I would say, like using intersectionality, but also taking into account local context. So it was important for us. But I also think that intersectionality can be something more when, uh, you know, you do your research. It's also about like constantly thinking about these different positionalities, whether you talk to people who use drugs, sex workers, or uh, I don't know, uh, LGBT people uh, in Poland, it's always asking a question about class, about like economic capital. It's also a question about your sexuality, your gender identity, uh, about your disability or, uh, or uh, ability, about your health status. So yeah, so I would say that, I mean, we are both from Anna, from actually, <laughs> from actually the Dikati Cathedral or our department for uh, intersectional um, uh, social research. So uh, the, the framework is there. The framework is there. Yeah. Anna? So now in, there is like this great uh, interest in Poland about the countryside, also about the history of um, Polish people, like, I don't know how you say, Hopi. A peasant, yeah. the, the peasant, yeah, uh, and the history of that, and everybody is now more looking at that. Uh, but at, at that point, that was really something very new. Uh, and I think, as Justina said, and the intersectionality is something that underpins our research all the time. It's something you have in mind, and so we would not say like woman is a category or a group which have a, one common interest. So. That is something I think is really problematic. And also in the context of sex work, if people ask, so who are sex workers? What are their characteristics? And I would say there's so many different positions and it means something different for somebody 
uh, I know, a single mother who works outside uh, in the streets uh, and she's Polish, something other for like Ukrainian migrant who works in an agency and lives there at the same time. And then I know COVID outbreaks or the war and she has this various constraints to decide or it's some, meaning something different for a transgender person who doesn't have many options to work and not uh, experience uh, discrimination. It means different for a like middle class person who, who can afford good computer and camera and have a recording studio in her flat and something different for uh, a person, I don't know, with some mental disorder and she, he or she is struggling uh, to get a normal job. And that's why sex work could be a way of working and being flexible and so on. So the various uh, dimension of inequalities shape to a very much extent the very position uh, a person has in the like working uh, in the sex industry, but also like in other social aspects. That's something you you always have to have in mind. There are no no easy solutions and no simple explanations. I really also like that point that intersectionality, I mean, viewing it firstly more more broadly and as uh, underpinning, I mean, in this case, your research, but also realizing that you have to make it concrete to the context that you're looking at. And because so many of the intersectional thinkers are taking a stance from the Western perspective. And I mean, I myself am looking at uh, at Russia and in, uh, mediated discourses and, and representations of gender and in, in the many different understandings of, of that term in the Russian media, state-controlled media, with the focus on disinformation and propaganda, and also thinking a lot how, how I can implement this, I mean, more Western way of thinking intersectionality into the Russian context. But to go back Back to your work, how has your research been received when you have been out communicating it, both in Poland but also abroad? I have to say that I don't have like any negative uh, experiences. That's uh, kind of surprising or I usually get very positive responses. And in Poland, the sex work research is not a big field. There are like only a couple of persons doing that so maybe it still didn't gain that much attention and has not been very much discussed and also in our institute I have to say that we have good uh, working environment we didn't have like much problems with pursuing our research and at some point we had some really supportive deans and so on who really uh, took some really political stances. For example, when the first LGBTQ march was organized in 2004, yes, our institute was like supporting it very much against the whole Catholic Church in Krakow and even against the main dean at the university. Yeah, but that's also changing recently. Well, I would maybe add to this what, what Anna was saying. Uh, I would say that, yes, I mean, we, we can get a lot of support uh, coming both from academia in Poland and outside. 
but this is also for me also like the the law of the bubble so quite often when i you know go for a conference or even to some meeting this is usually a queer meeting or a feminist meeting so i'm not presenting anything at some right-wing conference right so so this is the first important issue i think the second is that of course it happens that there are some smear campaigns against activists or even researchers done by right-wing organizations or newspapers and it happens it didn't happen to me but there are some situations so it could be very challenging i remember a few years back then, there was supposed to be this conference in krakow about families and we are invited as our department just to talk about different families experiences different families types different practices so my boss uh, uh, our boss, actually, I mean, Professor Kristina uh, Slane, said to me, hey, Justina, can you present something on LGBT families? And back then there was no uh, local research. So I just, you know, I prepared just kind of like state of the art just to show some uh, basic data. And the conference was canceled because of that. They got some calls saying, how can you include such a topic into your agenda? We don't have such families in here in Poland, of course. Firstly, they said that, that it would be moved to another date. Then it was just simply cancelled. In Poland, actually, all of the, I mean, all of the recent smear campaigns were actually against NGOs that NGOs actually were much more exposed, for example, for doing, I don't know, like outreach, right? Or, 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 or like talking about condoms directly, or, uh, you know, going to schools with some kind of sex education in, in, in some form. They were they were attacked in, into, I believe it was in 2019 that the recent, like very, very nasty smear com- campaign was organized by why of a member of the parliament against a Warsaw-based NGOs. This is this is also interesting that actually in our context, this is more civic society that is that is um, you know they're under attack and not academia so far. But I wonder why. Why do you think that's the case? Maybe academia is stronger. Like it has a really strong position. These are like people, you know, elites. Like uh, and uh, the university is now in most of the universities as in, are in opposition to current government in a way. Uh, there were some signals that they are not really supporting the uh, right wing government, and NGOs are really like an easy target because they're more vulnerable, they, they are more easy maybe to access and, and attack. If they, for example, if you are in foundation, you have to publish all of your data and you have several ways you have to report to the government. And then it could be all the activities they do with public funds, they could be like traced. And there are several tools which is anti-gender politicians or journalists or other NGOs could attack them and make them really use a lot of work to explain what they are doing. So I think they had this strategy to attack maybe the most vulnerable actors. And when you're at the university, you publish, yeah, you are like a a good uh, academic worker. There are not so many tools to undermine your position. They were were also studies showing that actually Poland is going 
into like Hungarian model of like just controlling civil civic society. Yeah, seeing what's what's happening in Hungary, it's quite. I mean, it's not quite. It's very scary. But to um, to a different question, within your line of work, would you consider yourself feminist researchers? And what does it mean for you to to be a feminist researcher? I would say yes, and for me, uh, but I would say feminist slash queer because this is the the position that I feel the most comfortable with. But I would also say that for me, uh, being a, a feminist and queer uh, researcher and also doing research using these perspectives is about you know, social justice. This is the key. So uh, recognizing inequalities. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say, of course, build social justice because we are not building social justice through our research. But at, at least, I mean, at least to make this small step toward more just society that would be it yeah definitely i would also uh, uh, call myself a feminist researcher that is exactly what justina said recognizing social uh, justice or injustice in various areas not only that connected to sex gender sexuality but in a broad way in a broad intersectional way because when you start with uh, one thing, then other are interconnected and you cannot look at sex work without looking at criminalization in general. And then you get all of the various uh, dimensions like migration, like drugs, like ethnicity and so on, so on. So, yeah, so for me, being a feminist researcher means uh, seeing injustice, defining it, dismantling it showing yeah those different dimensions and then as a sociologist activist like trying to make a change but yeah maybe not this big systematic change but rather in your area like in your small part of the world which you are uh, located in and I was really inspired by what Rebecca Solnit has written about doing activism and hope that you, you shouldn't be looking for a like great change soon. Uh, like we, uh, that can be very frustrating. You are doing things, being active, sometimes overworking yourself and then nothing changes or it is even worse. <laughs> but then she, what Solnit says that you should do your small part. You should work in your community, strengthen your community, like do activist work, uh, like doing some actions, but also work on the community to uh, to feel good, doing community care and uh, building like good relation with each other. And then just hope it will connect with other small actions and uh, it will bring change, even if not in our lifetime, <laughs> but maybe it, it it will be meaningful anyway. So this is one thing. And the other thing, being a feminist researcher, is you include your life in your research, like you have this different dimension of life, like, for example, I'm a mother of three, and that is something that also changes my point of view, my standpoint, that influences the way I do research, how I look at things. And that is something uh, 
I like to bring in as a feminist researcher, not to separate these uh, various areas of life, but rather try to discuss them and use uh, use them as, as a resource. You mentioned being uh, being frustrated, and I, and I was thinking how. Um this is a question for both of you how how do you deal with this feminist slash queer frustration and and rage in your research when you see that the change is is very slow i wonder if you also have if you have other strategies in in dealing with with the frustration that yeah might come along when you when you research topics that are so filled with with inequalities and uh, and discrimination yeah, that is still something I, I, I'm challenged by. And uh, yeah, so I really like narrowed my focus. That is that is one thing. And now I'm like having a break uh, in this meantime between uh, academic work. And I'm listening a lot of podcasts, podcasts also from the uh, US uh, Black uh, Lives Matter movement and other uh, black activists and they're really really inspiring me because they put a lot of pressure on on healing on uh, keeping community on sustaining the networks and on being together i want to work on like having good relationships and building those relationships and investing like energy in communities rather than in engaging in some big projects that i'm doing things of course it's important and you have to have some broader goal i think if you don't ha- don't have a good support in your community which is strong and which is not i know traumatized and yeah when everybody's frustrated you're not doing the good job and you, it's just uh, overwhelming and it's also just bringing burnout and that was also something that I could really feel in, in my environment, both in academia and in activism, that we are just all very tired. We don't have time for being together, for enjoying life in general. So I'm like trying to, to, to find, to enjoy uh, simple pleasures <laughs> and also to, uh, yeah, to, to connect. Uh, which is uh, for me at this moment is kind of challenging because I'm not in Krakow but in in uh, Norway in Oslo at the moment. So that needs uh, a lot of zooming or a lot of like uh, alternative ways of meeting. But uh, it is the more important for me. I would say I don't <laughs> <laughs> manage the frustration, <laughs> but uh, I mean to. Uh... No, but like seriously, I think that Anna just mentioned all of that. I mean, I I think that relations are key somehow, and I probably all relations within academia with other researchers that you can talk with, but also outside of academia, these are the key probably to to somehow going through some some rough time. But honestly. I really think that I have nothing to say in this area and that I don't, that I, in this point, uh, as my, in my life as a researcher, I don't know how to manage frustration and maybe it will come with time, some more um, positive uh, strategies and tools. For now, I just 
I'm just, I just keep going, right? And try to follow somehow the reality. Thank you so much for also very honest answers. Is there anything, uh, because that was my last question, but is there anything that um, you feel like we, we missed or that you would like to add? I think that this was actually a very, very deep conversation, honestly. Uh, I mean, I, I like it a lot. Of course, we could talk like probably for seven more, hour, seven more hours or, and so, but I don't know. Anna? Yes, true. I really enjoyed it. And there are not so many occasions as we have uh, talked before the recording to to think about those issues which you asked us about to uh, discuss this. Even like me and Justina, we, we meet quite often, but there's always something else to yeah. like some practical stuff to discuss. Uh, uh, I know, writing a report or something yeah. and not to think about the look at our work in a broader perspective so that was really a great opportunity to talk to you in uh, and have space so thank you very much